Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We did it. We completed the whole eight miles on the sand with the Raven. Completing the run gave us more insight into what it means to be a part of this community here. It was much different than I expected. Having run long distance before and track and cross country in high school, there's just something unique about this interaction with runners and just the feeling of being on the run with this inspiring man. I can see why runners return back again. It's almost like each run is a new journey has new characters and new stories to go with it. The runner's thoughts only seem to echo what I felt firsthand. When you run with him, his engaging personality and how he seems to relate to everyone in a friendly way. And I guess that inspires, it welcomes people as what makes them feel comfortable. They want to do it. When we're running along, he'll tell stories. Endless, he has endless stories. He'll tell stories about the people you're running with. He'll tell stories about the way it used to be in Miami Beach. And there are a lot of odd things happen around here, a lot of odd characters, and he knows stories about them. And his the stories are very entertaining. And before you know it, you've got five, six miles knocked off. And, uh, and then it's just another mile or two to the finish. The Raven is a great storyteller. And on the run, his stories are just another reason why people continue to come back. This is, this is going back uh, summer of uh, uh, 15. And I'm running along, you know, like, like I am now. And uh, I, catch, I catch this lady, middle-aged. She was, at, she was 55. And uh, when I passed her, I looked at her and said, uh, uh, I don't pass too many, too many people these days anymore. And she says, I've always wanted to run with you, if you've seen me. And I said, okay, you know. And she started coming out every day for for about two weeks. And I told her about the run. I told her you get a nickname if you do eight miles. I mean, she, was, she was interested. Anyway, two weeks go by. She comes early one day and is going for the eight miles. So we get to about five and a half miles and it's, you know, it's hot, it's August. And she went off for some water and she turns, turns to me and this English guy and says, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but I'm the most famous woman in Italy. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She says, well, I've been in movies. I've been in TV shows. Um, I was a Miss Universe candidate, which I could believe. And then she says, I dated George Harrison and Eric Clapton. And as soon as she sir said Eric Clapton's name, the English guy goes, oh God, that awful song, meaning Tears from Heaven, about the, the child that fell out the window. And she says, yeah, I was the mob. So he goes, what's your name? And he, she tells us, Lori Del Santo. He goes home and looks it up. As soon as I walk in the door that night, the phone rings and he says, you know, Raven, everything she said is true. So I call her true story, Lori. Yeah, and she's my next birthday to send. Her birthday's uh, September 28th. I gotta send her a card. She's gonna be 63. Yeah. 
every run I learned something new about his his past or Miami Beach that I didn't know, even after you know 250 runs, which is amazing. The motivation does not just come with the run itself, but it's the importance about people being so impacted by the run that they return back again and again. Some runners come out to meet the Raven once just for the experience, and so many that can't stay away. I think that describes me more. I want to make it out here whenever I can to run with the Raven. He's just hes just a really interesting human. I i always think, like every time I go out there on the run, and I've, I've been out there for almost 10 years now with him, I just think, God, I, I feel so lucky to be a part of this. And I will never meet another person like him. Like he's just an extraordinary human being. I can't begin to tell you, it's not just the run, the physical part of the run. It's also the psychological part of the run because running with Raven helps you mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You all feel like your friends and you've experienced something together that it is just memorable. You know, he's enriched tens of thousands of people's lives with the Raven run. And like others have said, you do the run once to get a nickname, and you do it again to hear your name on the roll call. My producing partner, Claudio, had to head back to Los Angeles. Raven gave him the name TechWiz because he's always working with the sound equipment or loading something on the computer. To hear mine, I had to come back out the next day. And it is time for <laughs> roll call, everybody. Still celebrating from 2016. Doing the podcast. His number 23, his favorite number and player, Cub Past. By celebrating from 2016, he's referring to the Chicago Cubs World Series, which as far as I see it, I have a good reason to keep celebrating since it took them until 1945 to return to the World Series. And before that, the last time they won was back in 1908. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's October 1970. It's been a few months since the Raven returned to South Beach from Nashville, where he got to interact with and share his handwritten songs with some big artists who could potentially make something special happen for Raven. He was about to see his work pay off, but in a way he never expected. I'm almost sure I was at the park, uh, just finished playing baseball or stickball. I think it was my, I must have had my little transistor radio. 
And I heard the song on the radio. Well, the first thought is, uh, those are my lyrics. I rushed home to my mom's, and I said, I think I just heard a, the lyrics of a song I wrote. She says, oh, come on. You know, you're just imagining. So, no, no, no. I, I pulled out the lyrics, and I kept the radio on the station. Since it was on the way to becoming a big hit, they played it again, like shortly. It was on the rotation by then. The lyrics, were, you know, except for two words, were mine. His dream of writing a hit song had happened. Waiting for the new song to come back over the airwaves for a second time, he pulls out his lyrics, seeing the words match on his extra copy. So I call, I call the radio station, all excited, you know, whose name is on this song. And I think he's going to say, my name, no. It was the guy that was with Johnny Cash. That's my lyrics. That's my, my song. At least the lyrics were anyway. So then, then the anger started. The angry young man thing started up. I was 19 in Nashville, down on Music Road. I met John and Waylon at the Grand Old Opera Show. Washed dishes in the morning, tootsies at night. Tried my hand at some singing and learned how to write. Songs of givers and takers, liars and fakers, those who fit in and those who don't belong, cotton pickers to road scholars, and the man who stole my song. I just couldn't believe it. Sitting there listening to him, I don't know how I would have taken that. I'm sure you're waiting for me to tell you who the artist was, but at the request of Raven, I'm going to have to keep that a mystery. But if you do enough digging and use some dates and details, it shouldn't be that difficult to find out. Raven remembers the exact night he handed over the song. And uh, I could tell you exactly, exactly the way it was. Johnny was on the left. The other guy was on the right. And I hand Johnny the lyrics. And this time he says, you know, buddy, I'm pretty much writing my own songs these days. Maybe this guy can help you. He's, I think he actually said like a new songwriter in Nashville. And the other guy was like right at eye level. Johnny was taller. That guy was at eye level with me. And, and he had, you know, something. I just looked right into his eyes. I remember that. And uh, he, stuck the, he stuck the lyrics in his like top pocket. Didn't say a word. He was just looking at, glaring at me. Like he, he was, I think he was high. I'm almost sure. Glaring at me like, you're taking me away from Johnny. That, that, that was his, like his hero. And I thought, well, I had my name on it. I think I'm, I'm going to hear from him somehow or other. Ho- hotel address, my mom's address, you know, her phone number. No, nothing. It's been so many years since then. But I can see as he tells me this about that night, how much it still stings, wondering what he could have done differently. I had some guy that I knew from school that was... Uh, you know, taking law. And he says, you didn't copyright it. I said, I didn't know about that. I didn't know copyright. What do I know? Naive. Yeah, you know, I thought about maybe should should I have done something? If we we went to court and everything, Johnny Cash would have gotten in trouble because he handed it to him. And I I liked him so much. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get him in that. You know, I felt like I'd be a, a, a sore sport or something. As I hear the Raven tell me this, I just can't wrap my head around how he would have sympathy for someone that took what was his. 
But then I start to realize he really felt like while this hurt him, it was just what happened. And he didn't want to cause issues for an artist that he respected so much. I don't think others would have handled it like this. All that hard work, all the time writing songs in his tiny apartment, and waiting outside the Grand Ole Opry after every show was all for nothing. He tried to move on, but he was fixated on it. Being a well-known country songwriter was his dream. If you're an artist creating something and having someone steal your work or take credit for it is one of the most disheartening and defeating things that can happen. Raven just couldn't shake off the anger and resentment. And this incident led to a long period of unrest and paranoia. At this point in my life, I was very angry because that was always on the back, losing the song. Everybody's against me. Everybody's picking on me in some way or another. I got a chip on my shoulder. The Eagle, school, teachers, everybody's going to try to take advantage of me some way or another. So I was very untrusting. And then whatever songs I was writing, I was hiding them. I was thinking someone was going to steal my songs again. So I would just put them in a you know, in a folder or something. I wasn't showing anybody. Raven was at his lowest. He had lost his drive to write more songs and didn't really have a plan until one day on the beach when he met someone that would challenge him and inspire him, a man named Bulldog. He was always on the beach, always talking to girls and real friendly. He's always waving to people. And uh, it was on the old pier. He, I guess he's seen me with different women here and there you know, just talking to him. And I guess I, I kind of was competition for him because he, he came back from Vietnam. He was he was boxing, training. We're, I guess we both had the same mentality. We're young and looking for women. And, and, I, and, I, and then we just hit it off. He had this self-deprecating humor, like, yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten lucky in, in years, you know, or something like that. And so come on. He says, well, you know, once in a while. And we started meeting girls together. We, I think we went out on lots of double dates. And he had a car. It was a 1950 Pontiac. He had it painted black. And even in 73, it was a classic. So we'd ride around. You know, if he, if he met a, a girl, he'd, we, we'd, uh, you know, we'd, or two girls, we'd, we'd drive around, something to eat in different places. I, I don't ever remember pain. He'd always, before I could even put my, get my hand out of my pocket, he said, ah. Johnny, he called her by Johnny. He goes, Johnny, you're not paying for this. I'm, you know, I'm, it was cool. He was a lot of fun, outgoing, and it, and it got me to where I could talk to girls. And if we, we got shot down, we laughed about it. Says, well, we had to try. And I said, well, you know, he was into baseball. I said, baseball, if you don't swing at the pitch, you don't hit nothing. So sometimes I'd see Bulldog standing around or talking to a girl, or he'd be running down the beach throwing punches bobbing and weaving, throwing punches, you know, as he says, he was doing his road work because he was, he was doing some boxing. But he was, he was always training, and I think he had a few, you know, under his belt. But he was a boxer, but not like a, a big name. Or, you know, he was already close to 30 at that time. Killer was more of the professional. Bulldog had some fights in the, in the service. You know, he didn't have too many, um, you know, professional fights. Killer, another character in Raven's saga, he perfectly complements the vivid backdrop of South Beach and was prominent in the South Beach boxing scene and in Raven's life at the start of his running. When I first met Killer, seeing him around was not a good 
good sight. He would just glare at you. I thought the guy hated me. He would just like give me these mean looks. One time I was talking to a girl. He was standing in the water glaring at me, and he's just a mean guy. And uh, I didn't know, you know, um, he was Bulldog's close friends. I'll never forget the first time we spoke, because I seen him at the park years before, punching his Ford Falcon. I mean, denting, punching the car so hard he dented it. So I figured this guy's either crazy or he's a fighter, and he was a fighter. We were sitting on a wall on 3rd Street. It was called the Wall of No Return. It's still there, but the beach has been changed so much. It's all grass now. So we're all sitting there, and the killer comes up. You know, and Bulldog says, hey, you know, hey, Johnny, I, you know, they're, they're chit-chatting. And he goes, you know, my friend, you know, and he, and, he, and killer kind of leans back and <laughs> spits right like down. And, and he goes, yeah, seen him around. <laughs> so, okay, you know, and that was our first meeting. Like spits like, no, not on me, but like near me and, and gives me a mean look. Yeah, I've seen him around. Killer and Bulldog weren't the only two boxers in South Beach at the time. In fact, around this time, boxing was big in Miami. Muhammad Ali, the most famous of them, all with the help of trainer Angelo Dundee, made the Fifth Street gym famous at the time. Ali has ties to South Florida fighting and training at the Fifth Street gym on Miami Beach. Turns out, a lot of runners on the beach were guys from the local boxing clubs. Raven knew he needed something new to reach for. Fifth Street gym was right down the street from me. And, uh, you know, a lot of the fighters came into where my mom worked. And every they had, they had the fight of the week, kind of like the game of the week on baseball. So I knew a lot of the fighters' names. And I'd see some of the fighters from the old Fifth Street gym. There was always boxing. Miami Beach was kind of associated with boxing. And when I started going out to the beach, the only people that really ran were boxers. There was this boxer by the name of Eddie Talhammond, which I became really good friends with. I'd see Eddie running Alton Road, girlfriend or wife following him on the bicycle. I heard he was a fighter, so that was part of his training. So I thought to myself, this guy's really training. Day, I mean, day and night, I kept seeing the guy. And I was, I was fascinated with it. I said, wow, this guy must be a really great athlete because he's running and he's, you know, throwing some punches. And maybe that's, uh, that was, might have been the beginning of the seed in my head to run. Sometimes we all need a little push. That is where things started to shift for Raven. He started running consistently with the help of Bulldog and others. And he found a new motivation. 72, I started running with Bulldog. Two miles was, was a lot for me, you know, at a nice pace with him. I was huffing and puffing. I thought to myself, I wasn't going to quit. And, you know, so I, he says, come on, come on, John. Let's, let's uh, you know, let's go for a run. And I wasn't going to say no, you know. He's my buddy, and uh, if he could run, I, I could give it a try. What, what do I got to lose, right? It looks like, looked like he was, he was having fun doing it. The start of every run is the hardest part. But Bulldog was there with the motivation Raven needed. I mean, Bulldog's not a quitter. And he said to me, come on, you can do it. He encouraged me. He says, you can do it. I kept at it. I wouldn't say every day, but often, almost almost every day. And when he wasn't around, I started doing it. I started going from garbage can to garbage can, and then two garbage cans and three garbage cans and faster. So, you know, I started counting, you know, and then to, from one lifeguard stand to another, I started getting stronger and faster. Maybe a couple months of doing it pretty regular, I noticed how much better I felt mentally. 
I was just calmer. You know, I was able to have fun again. I wasn't so angry. And really, really changed my life. It really, really became a savior to me, the running. New sense of calm helped Raven move forward with his life. And with a renewed vigor for life, doors opened for someone special to enter. When he least suspected it, something came at him out of nowhere. I met her in 1973. I saw her. She was in a white little bikini. I was 23, and turned out she was 44, and she was leaving the beach in a hurry. And I've seen her before, and she says, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to go cook Thanksgiving dinner. And I said, okay. I just got a vibe that, uh, you know, she wasn't interested. I was too young for her. And um, all of a sudden, I started seeing her talking to one of the lifeguards. He told her about me because he had a little thing going with her, and he mentioned her to me. This is Christine better known as the astrologer. After that Thanksgiving thing, I always kind of figured she wasn't interested, no use even saying hello to her, just, you know, seeing her. And then one day I ran by, I used to wear this, a sprayed, painted straw cowboy hat. This day I didn't have it on. And she says, I like you better without the hat. And I remember her asking me about Bulldog. Because as you... Does he really talk that way? Because he talked with a good day. How you doing? Ah, you know, this New York accent. And he had this he had this Irish baby face, red cheeks and curly, you know, reddish hair. And she couldn't believe that voice came out of him. And, you know, how you doing? You know, and I said, he really does talk like that. <laughs> we started talking and we went in the water and I put my hands on her and she moved away. She says, I don't do things in the water but maybe we can go out sometime. She said that to me, or you can come over for dinner. And dinner's a lot cheaper when you don't have any money. <laughs> so I did. After dinner, she just laid down on the floor and started unbuttoning her blouse, and that's the beginning of The Astrologer. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. As well as starting him on running, Bulldog provided the nickname that is how everyone knows Robert Kraft. They called me cowboy because I wore cowboy boots when I wasn't running all the time. And, you know, I've been to Nashville and, but, you know, so look, I, you know, I thought I'm not a cowboy. I never rode, you know, I've been in a horse when I was a little kid. Never, you know, would have liked to lived in Montana or Texas. So they just had this cowboy, that's the cowboy, to always say to everybody, which is not a bad name. So I'm really not. And then one day he says, you know, you're more like a raven. You stay up late at night, you wear black clothes, and you write these dark songs. I said, I guess you're, guess you're right. With running, he was able to find an outlet that helped him move past the anger and the paranoia of the stolen song. So he decided he wouldn't let that be the end of his music story. He put himself out there again, a little wiser than before. I was still writing songs. And I, I, I really wanted, you know, to make it. I found an ad in a magazine somewhere. They're looking for songs, like an audition in North Miami Beach. I had a tape. I brought it there, played a few songs for them, and they wanted to record me. I talked about the, the copyright. They say, well, take care of it. And uh, 
there was just one song, The Fugitive on the Run. They liked it. And I thought, you know, they'll get somebody to sing it. But they, but they said, no, you're going to sing it. It was my voice on the little demo tape that I played that I, that I did alone, you know. He made a demo of his songs independently. Now, a song he had written in Nashville would be recorded in a studio just up the road. And I remember it was May 12th, 1972, and I took that day off, and I had to go to Fort Lauderdale to record the song. I don't know how I would have ever made it to Fort Lauderdale. I had all kinds of bus schedules, and as fate would have it, Richard Phillips is at the bus stop, and he goes with me. His childhood friend, Richard Phillips, got Raven the job in Vegas. Well, now he's back in South Florida and just in time. We're six miles short of getting there, and the bus wasn't running to the studio. We ended up getting, I hate cabs, but we got a cab and we, we got there. I class recording studio, and that's, of course, where I met Ricky Rooney. I, Mickey Rooney was dancing around to a song about a guy on the run for murder. He told me, you got to have fun. And I said, but it's about a guy on the run for murder. And he says, yeah, but have fun with it, man. Have fun. And that stuck in my head for the rest of my life. Always have fun. It'll show on the recording or whatever you're doing, whether it's running or writing or anything in life. Have fun if you can. And that's just what he did. He had a great time with his first recording experience. His eyes lit up as he remembers it. After his song being stolen, this could be the moment his musical career is about to begin. I thought, this is it. I'm going to have a hit song and brought a few people over and everybody liked it. And it says, well, it kind of reminds me of Johnny Cash. I said, well, thank you. you know, I was took it as a compliment, but uh, yeah, I thought, well, people liked it. And I said, maybe, uh, maybe I could, I'd like, like to do some more songs. They didn't make any big promises. They said, we're, we're going to release it in the Midwest, Texas, Oklahoma, Minnesota. Like five or six states are going to try. They, I got a couple little cards. Uh, you know, th your songs created a little bit of interest or, you know, it, it really didn't, didn't, really wasn't what we're looking for. Two little postcards, you know, from DJs and it just fizzled. You know, I, I always thought, you know, I always thought positive. Something's going to happen. Never, never heard nothing. Never made the charts. Yeah. If you listen to it, it was pretty simple. It wasn't uh, much of a production. Boom, 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 boom. You know, the same little melody. It's not going anywhere. You know, you get a few letters and then it's like stops. It just not, nothing happened. But I just kept writing songs, you know, and not as much as uh, I should have been writing, but I kept on doing it just because that's, when, when I got inspired, I just said, okay, I'm gonna, gonna write a song about, you know, and, and, not, and I, you just can't force a song. If you, if you feel like uh, I'm gonna sit here and write it, it's not gonna happen. But when it just starts coming, you gotta be ready for it. While the success of his songs was not in his control, the desire to run consistently was in his control. And that's what he started to do. The Fugitive on the Run didn't make it. So I am running all of a sudden with, through uh, meeting the boxers. I've been training uh, with Bulldog all these years to, you know, to run a few years anyway. And I built up to seven, eight miles. You get to the point where you do it every day and I started feeling better. And I said, why change, why change it now? I started feeling better, everything. Because I was already feeling good from even taking a day off. And when I took the day off, I felt guilty. After the 13th day, on the 14th day, I was starting over. So this way, there was no starting over. 
you know, there was also no days off. There's no recovery. And I built up to seven, eight miles. I just keep riding. And uh, by this time, I am running. As I'm sitting here the whole time, there's a 45 with a thumbtack holding it to the wall. And right above it is a cutout of Johnny Cash. Looks like something you'd see standing outside of a record store. Just the top part of Johnny Cash's head looking at the 45. I asked Raven, can we take it down? Give it a listen. It's kind of symbolic. It's like Johnny's Johnny's watching it for it you. It is, ain't it? It is. Symbolic. Mickey Rooney was there when I recorded it. Well, yeah, let's let's okay, grab let, it. Let let's me, grab uh, it down there. Let me uh it's like removing the item from the museum. Let me, let me slide in there. Maybe I can get in there without any damage here. Look at that sleeve. Oh, there's two of them in there. Look at that. Check that out. It's hmm. nice. Yeah, hope it plays. It looks like it's uh, like a little. We might have to wipe it, or wipe it down, or something. Oh my God, there's a hole in it. <laughs> if it doesn't play, then then it is symbolic. But let's see if it plays. Yeah, let's see it for sure. Okay. Here it is. It's playing. Hearing that, did it bring back memories? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it didn't sound as bad as uh, I thought. It was, I thought it sounded a lot. It sounded a lot worse, but it wasn't that. Yeah, you know, real simple. Nothing. You know, I can see why it never became a hit, but you know, it's not terrible. And that, and at that point, at that time, pe the records like this were uh, pretty successful. Sometimes, so I, so I really thought, you know, what do you think? 
I liked it. Okay. I thought it had a nice sound. It also just, it brought me back to the story, which is why I'm wondering, is there any moments like your voice, like you sound, sound like, a, like so young. I was, I was 21. Yeah, I was 21 years old. He was 21 years old. To think at that time, he already had a hit, but his name wasn't on it. The music would inspire him to continue to write, but I know it was hard. And just think, he had another opportunity, so maybe there's another one ahead of him. But whatever the case, the song he wrote about the man that stole his song, that to me is the most telling of the conflict in his life that gave him the power to do everything past this. The man that stole my song. I was 19 in Nashville, down on Music Road. I met John and Waylon at the Grand Old Opera Show. Washed dishes in the morning, tootsies at night. Fried my hand at some singing and learned how to write. Songs of givers and takers, liars and fakers, those who fit in and those who don't belong. Cotton pickers to road scholars And the man who stole my song Innocent and naive Real easily led I took people at their word And believed what they said I've lived the experience It all ended too soon Set up nights for the words Crafted the tune Songs of givers and takers, liars and fakers, those who fit in and those who don't belong, cotton pickers to road scholars and the man who stole my song. Discouraged before 20, but more than 20 years passed. I'm ready for the challenge, now to face the task. I've tried to forgive, even after so long But I just can't forget The man who stole my song Songs of givers and takers Liars and fakers those who fit in, those who don't belong, cotton pickers, the road scholars, and the man who stole my song. Songs of givers and takers, liars and fakers, those who fit in, those who don't belong, cotton pickers, the road scholars, the man who stole my song. Man. Raven is a production of Imperative Entertainment and Life is My Movie Entertainment. Hosted by me, Vincent Vittorio. Executive produced by Jason Hoke, Claudio Zungri, Vincent Vittorio, and Laura Caulfield. Original music by Louis Harrell. Original songs, Robert Ravencraft. Audio mixing by Richard Spooner. Story editors are Vincent Vittorio, Claudio Zungri, Teen U, Eric Ricks, Jessica Vittorio, Jeremy Marr, and Carolyn Harvey. Original photography, Mary Beth Kaith. Cinematography and editing, Ashton McCammon and Marley Mullis.
special thanks to Raven and the running community. If you like this show, please tell your friends and make sure to leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening.